Restaurant Unstoppable, episode three. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. 385. Here it is. You know, you saw John George did it with Wiley Dufresne. When Wiley left, John George invested. You know, uh, Danielle Thomas uh, uh, both did it with um, Gavin Kaysen. When he left, they invested. I mean, it makes sense. It's, if you've trained this person, if you've worked with them, you've invested in them, you know they're great. When they go off to do their own thing, why wouldn't you invest in them? Why wouldn't you let them continue to work, grow, and still get paid for it? I think it's genius. <laughs> Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Master Salmonier, Alex LaPrat. Alex, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling <laughs> yes. unstoppable. Today. Yes, I love and every day. There we go. That's how we get this thing going <laughs> in the right direction. So, growing up in Detroit, Alex's love for wine came at a young age of 19 years old. His passion for wine provided him with the opportunity to work in some of the finest restaurants in the industry, including Michael Mina, the French Laundry, Danielle uh, Atira. Lud Bernardin Jean Georges, and today he serves as principal and beverage director at Atrium Dumbo, located in Brooklyn, New York. Obviously, I'm just scraping the surface, dude. I, there's so <laughs> many accolades you've garnered along the way, and you've just done incredible things. Uh, I can't wait to learn more about how you got to where you are, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah. So like, uh, I, I didn't boil it down to one quote, but, uh, my mantra ever since I was young is like, um, I learned early on that being smart just wasn't enough and that hard work meant so much. So, uh, I, I kind of made it my mantra that, uh, and I've told people, I said, you know, you might, you might be better at this or, or more skilled or more knowledgeable, but, but there won't be a day in your life where you outwork me. I dig it. There won't be a day in your life where you won't outwork me. And I think that's one thing I love the most about this industry is, you can be just kind of normal talented wise, but if you have that grit, that desire to just keep showing up and you have that work ethic uh, and you can outwork people, you will, you will rise to the top. And I think that's just one of the, the great things about this industry. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you, you, you think about it and let's just uh, condense it down to just to its real basics. If, um, you know, we live, you know, 80, 90 years if, if we're healthy, maybe not in our industry, but most industries. But, um, you know, if you get a little bit better each day, if your career is 20 years and you get a little bit better each day, over 20 years, you become really, really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and people have to think about it. Small gains, you know, nobody becomes a master or anything overnight. Beautiful, man. I love it. So when did you first get started? You're 19 years old, right? When you really fell in love. So what was going on in your life at this point? Uh, I moved out of my home, um, out of my house when I was uh, seventeen. I was um, 
you know, um, trying to pay for college basically. And, um, you know, I was working through restaurants and I found this really nice fine dining restaurant. Uh, and I was, uh, trying to get a job there. So I just kept calling and sending my resume and it, and it sucked, uh, my resume. And I didn't know anything at that point. And, uh, this place was way beyond where I should have been. Uh, but I was super persistent. And like, I think all the great opportunities I've had in my life, I've, I really had to create it myself. Nobody came to me and said, Hey man, do you want to come work at this really great place? You know? And I, you know, I just kept going and finally I got an interview and then I just, uh, and they said they were going to call me back. They never called back. So I had to keep going. And, um, you know, for all of you guys out there listening, if and, and ladies, guys and girls, um, if you're looking for that great opportunity, you know, don't take no for an answer. Just be persistent because every restaurant at some point gets desperate. And they're like, you know what? This person is showing a lot of motivation, a lot of enthusiasm. And if they want to be here, you know, let's let's take a little chance on them. Awesome. I love it. And people do notice that. I mean, if you don't make the cut, you might win them over. Just that persistence, that, that, that der- determination to be a part of whatever it is you have going. If, if you see this person wanting so badly to be a part of it, like that says a lot. And it really does. Sure. It really can take somebody off the fence if they are on the fence about you. Uh, so totally. Awesome. So it was Morel's, right? Was that, was that yeah, Morel's. It was a Michigan bistro. It was in Bingham Farms. And um, when when I, I, you know, I was so uh, ignorant uh, uh, about the world of wine, the world of food, about this company in particular, you know, it's shameful. I should have known more about the company even before I went. I should have Googled. I should have known who's running it and what's going on. But, you know, I was just young and inexperienced. But um, anyhow, after I got the job, they had uh, like, mini delis. That's where they kind of made their money and built their company. Then they had seven family casual restaurants and four super fine dining restaurants. And little did I know this was their flagship. And when I started, when I eventually got my opportunity, I was the youngest person there. I didn't know anything uh, really. And uh, I found out that there was a master sommelier who was their beverage director and their corporate offices were just above the restaurant. It was in a big um, kind of uh, office building, you know, office tower. And uh, man, that, that, that changed my life that moment. So what was it originally about this restaurant that kept you so persistent? Why this restaurant? What did you see about this restaurant that made you want to work for it? Oh man, I was motivated by money at that point. I didn't really have the passion for, I mean, I like working with people and I uh, really enjoyed it. But, um, when you're, when you're starting out and not everybody wants to make this a career, you know, um, and, and uh, even though it's tough to, for some of us sometimes to look back and understand, you know, we do it for the passion. Some people, you know, they, they have bills to pay and they got families to take care of and they got things they want to accomplish in their lives that aren't this. So that's where I was at. And I was thinking money and it had a very, um, you know, uh, I don't know, affluent clientele, you know, there were Ferraris and, you know, Porsches out front, Mercedes and, you know, I was trying to pay for college. All right. So do you remember the time when they finally said, yes, do you, can you take us through that moment where they're like, okay, like let's give it a shot. Oh, I don't remember. I remember my (laughs) interview and then I just kept coming back with my resume. And the thing was, I just think they just got tired of me showing up. And so they were like, okay, dude, all right, let's do it. Let's give it a go. So they said, yes. Where'd you start? So I started as a server, okay. so which was nice, but um, man, I didn't I didn't know anything about wine or, or food, and um, it's not the first position that I've been in where it's like I've got a steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, later on in my career, I, I remember taking with me um, asking uh, a chef that was really well accomplished and saying, "Hey, uh, where can I learn more about French technique and stuff like that?" And here here he is recommending Larousse's gastronomique. So I'm I'm freaking walking around with like. 
a book thicker than Webster's Dictionary with me all the time. And oh, I'm at lineup awesome. looking up like, what's Bron Dodd? What is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, we take it for granted now, but then I had no clue. So you're working for this restaurant for two years before you really started to, to discover and fall in love with the wine. Uh, was that because of, was it Madeline? Trip, trip. Yeah, Madeline Trifon. Yeah, and uh, the great thing was, you know, our paths have crossed so much since then. But at that time, um, you know, it, she's she and the way she conducted herself was very inspiring. Um, you know, so? when well, you know, my thoughts are this: anytime you're around someone who's very good at something or the best at something, you should certainly pay attention mm. because there's you, you know you're going to miss uh, nuggets of wisdom or opportunity or insight that, uh, you know, most people don't have access to. So, you know, open up your ears and, and your eyes. And so that's what I did. And um, when I saw her work the floor, she was so humble. You know, people would come in. And I remember on many occasions, they'd say, hey, you're that Madeline Truffaut lady. And they wouldn't pronounce her name right or, or anything. Well, and God, she was just, just so humble. <laughs> and she would be like, yep, that's me. And her smile would light up a room. Oh, that's cool. There's nobody in Michigan that, that has touched wine ever that does not know Madeline. Um, you know, she's, she's really one of the greatest in our industry. So do you think that she contributed towards your passion for wine or was it just wine itself? Or do you think she had an influence on that? Oh, she definitely did. She definitely did because, uh, and man, it's, it's incredible. Um, I don't, you know, even with osmosis because she was super busy, but, uh, and I'm starting to understand what that's like, but you know, like, um, you go up and you try to talk to her and she's like, she tells you no. But you feel so good about it. When you walk away, you're like, you're like, well, I don't really have a lot of time right now. But you leave and you're like, oh, wow, that was great. And, and, but it doesn't make any sense. You know, you're like, wow. You know, she's just a, that kind of electric personality. Um, but watching her in the dining room, I find myself doing a lot of the things and teaching a lot of the things, you know, because I teach. Uh, I'm also a professor at, uh, adjunct professor at the International Culinary Center. So a lot of the, the techniques and lessons and things that I teach. I remember visually watching her do these things in the dining room that, that and there are things that people don't think about. Mm. Um, so it's, you, it's incredible. Uh, so aside from the humility and how she carried herself, the energy she mm-hmm. projected, what else were the big lessons you learned from her? Oh, you know, know your stuff, you know, know your stuff. <laughs> um, and if you don't know, don't make it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see that too much, especially unfortunately in the, on the wine side of things, but food also, I mean, if you don't know what you're talking about, just say, Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I don't really know that. Um, and, and let it be because, uh, you never know who's sitting down in a restaurant ever. I go out and I drink. I remember I went to a restaurant. I won't name it. Um, but, uh, I go and I, I take some, uh, uh, friends of mine. Uh, they're actually my partner's, um, parents and they're, uh, they're French. And so we're all speaking in French and, um, uh, her father wanted a beer and the server came over and I said, Hey, you know, do you happen to have a beer list? And he said, well, um, yeah, but they're all French beers. So unless you're some kind of beer expert, you're not going to know what they are. And I said, well, I, I guess it's a good thing. I'm a master sommelier, huh? Any chance I could see the list, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> you know, oh, but man. it's like, you never know. And as soon yeah. as you think, you know, you have no idea. You have no idea who's sitting there. They, yeah. they could look like a bum and be a billionaire. could look like a billionaire and be, you know, a crook. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's great advice. We're starting off on the right direction here. And I'm curious. So when was it? You're 19 years old at this point working, getting your first experience with, uh, at Mel, was it Morel's? Am I saying that like the mushroom? Yeah. Like, okay. like the mushroom. All right. That's it. And you had this incredible master sommelier mentor, but then eventually you find your way over to Michael Mina. So at what point at this point when you're at Morel's, did you know that this was going to be your career or when did you commit? No, to 
Well, you know, I don't know. I, you say things. So at 19, I said, you know what? I'd like to be a master sommelier. That's badass. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, like you say shit like that and you don't know how much work goes into it. And you're like, okay, cool. But I was actually studying, I was um, a major in biology and a minor in chemistry. I was looking at pre-med. And the problem was great yeah, background. Yeah. For yeah right. Yeah. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people go that route and then come into wine. I see it a lot. A lot of people go pre-med. Um, you know, I, I grew up very, uh, in a humble means. Um, my father worked for general motors for 30 years and, and I grew up on a farm. Um, so when I was young, I always wanted to do something where I saw how hard he worked and I said, you know, I want to do something where I get paid to be smart. And I also want to be rich, mm-hmm. um, or at least affluent, you know, well off. Um, and, uh, so I figured medicine, right. But, uh, you know, I was just naive. Um, because like I said at the beginning, you know, hard work is what really determines success. I feel and it doesn't matter. I know a lot of people that were s- super smart, and very talented. They're in the same town that I grew up in doing the same thing as when I left. So what was, what was different about you? Well, me, I don't know. You know, I kept coming back to wine, um, being really motivated and excited about it. And I jump around a lot, you know, my personality, my, the things that I gravitate towards. And so it's tough for me to find a constant sometimes. And I kept coming back to food and wine Mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the world because, um, you're not just learning about eating and drinking, you know, and then there's the whole, you know, people side of it. If you're some kind of sociologist or something, you could, you know, really dive into that and just interacting with people Mm -hmm. and us, wanting to be around people and share things. And that's, that's incredible, but cultures and, you know, geography and geology and travel and languages mm. and this romance. There's I mean, it's never ending learning and that's it, so true. Oh man, I love it. Um, you know? Okay. So let's go to the point where you're like, all right, this is, this is my jam. This is what I'm committing my life to. Let's get to that point as much. I have sure. a really bad habit of just like, asking questions and being too involved in the conversation. Then I look down, it's a half hour into the conversation. No, no, fair enough. (laughs) So, um, I'm at Michigan state at this point. I had just finished up enough credits to go to an alternative medicine school. I'm the first kid in my college to ever go or in my family to ever go to college. And then, um, I, uh, I made a decision. I had to go home and tell my parents, I said, look, you know, I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to become, uh, you know, a professional alcoholic, uh, is basically (laughs) how that conversation went. Um, so, and then uh, I worked through, at that point, I'd already worked through some of the best restaurants in Michigan, but I worked through all of them and Michael Mina came to town. And then that's when things started getting amped up a bit. Uh, I worked with some great sommeliers there um, uh, that I'm still friends with, um, but I met Raj Parr and Patrick Yumel, um, who uh, Patrick's the president of Michael Mina and Raj was the beverage director for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, they had great influence on me. What was the influence? Like, what was it? Like, how did they influence you? Well, I asked Patrick, uh, God, he, he looked great, man. He had a great suit. You know, he's an attractive guy already, but he carried himself with this kind of air of refinement. And I wanted that, you know, I was like, man, how you operate, it's very smooth, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, what, what can you recommend? You know, can I read some books and some things? He recommended some great books. I read all of them what and then they? some, <laughs> you know, I've got, a t- I've got a ton of, you know, Maybe. and you think it's like, stupid, uh, or at least I thought it was stupid. And I still think it's a little cheesy, but reading books on how to be a better leader or, you know, um, it, it helps, you know, it gives Absolutely. you different viewpoints. Um, we're going to put a bookmark then, pun intended right there. And we're going to come back to that question. <laughs> sure. Keep on going about um, like how you committed to this career. Oh yeah. Well, Raj, Raj Parr, um, he saw what I was doing there and, and basically he said, look, uh, you're kind of, 
you know, hitting your limit here in Detroit. You know, it'd be great if you could come out west and work with me in San Francisco. Um, and I said, I would love to. And Michael Mina, at that time, the, the flagship restaurant was a two-star Michelin restaurant with some of the best sommeliers uh, in the country. And, and I think in my opinion, of, at that moment in time, I had very limited knowledge, but uh, arguably the best wine list. And Raj Parr is probably one of the most electric and dynamic personalities in our industry. Um, so that was an incredible um, you know, honor. I was very flattered. I would love to, to, to work with him. And so we kept that dialogue open for quite a while, but no positions really opened up. And I remember um, one night I was looking on uh, the Quartermaster Sommeliers. They had a website. They have job postings. Uh, I, I had just passed my certified sommelier exam. And I saw the French Laundry was looking for uh, a sommelier. So that's kind of when the ball got rolling. Okay. So at this point, are you like, okay, like this is my career? Or are you still doing it for like now? No, I, no, that was uh, that was my career. I'd already dropped out of college, um, and I was focusing on that. And okay. you know what's funny is that early on, I knew that I couldn't do it forever. You can't work the floor forever. Um, the only way to do it is to get more experience, learn the financials of it, um, know how to do every position, and then open your own place. Mm-hmm. That was my plan, to learn from the best as quickly as possible, and then eventually open my own place. But is I wasn't it, sure how to get there. That was just like always in the back that, of my mind. That is the best plan, in my opinion. That's what I tell. I mean, making an example of you and so many other people who've come on the show, just get out there, surround yourself with the best. And I love, I think that's what, was it, am I saying his name? Is it Raj? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Raj or Raj. Okay. Raj, we so call him Raj. Raj, it seems like his big lesson to you is get out there and surround yourself with the best. Like you've hit the ceiling here. You've got to go to the West Coast. You've got to take it to the next level. And yeah. uh, that's great advice. So what were the lessons, the big lessons you took away from Thomas Keller? Well, I mean, man, there it was. Um, there was so much. Uh, it's really a force. Um, and if you come in, you know, it's just a uh, piece of clay they, they, you, you end up molding yourself or you don't or you don't make it um attention to detail uh and, and it, like an irreplaceable attention to detail and the pressure that you put on yourself every night for those services because you know it's an expensive experience and some people are you know you know they can afford that every single day and some people have to save and this is a once in a lifetime occasion but either way they're waiting three months uh, to get a reservation, mm-hmm. you know, before they can come. So that's three months of anticipation buildup. That's three months of talking to their friends and telling them and say, Hey, we're going to go do this, this is our anniversary or birthday, whatever. So when they come, it's got to be perfect. There's mm-hmm. no other option. So um, how was your attention to detail before you got to the French laundry? Oh, I mean, mediocre. Uh, I thought I was on point, but, uh, man, like everything, everything we used to like, you know, I don't know, tape down, tablecloths at the pass of the kitchen and make sure everything stayed clean. Our, our wine pass was taped down and we would decant bottles back and forth without funnels. It's like bottle to bottle and no drips. And you'd go through services perfection, you know, like there would be, um, fish, fish is really difficult to cook. All right. And if you're going to prep for a service, you know how many guests are coming and you know how many potential fish you could cook. You don't prep one more fish. You don't prep one extra because you're not going to make a single mistake. You're going to cook. And if you, if you screw up that fish, then you know, you're, you know, you're going to have to start all over. You're going to have to go get a fish. You're going to have to prep it. And it's like game over. Mm -hmm. So you just start and you have the perfect amount of mise en place. And then you just make it. I mean, I'm not saying it's a, I I wouldn't suggest doing that, (laughs) but if you're trying to make it a more metaphysical, if you're trying to hit another plane, if you're trying to really push yourself into another dimension of excellence, 
you know, that, that could be one because you have to focus on everything. So what things are going on inside of you to take it from that mediocre place to that really extreme place of attention to detail? Cause that we all need to, you know, improve that skill sure. to be excellent in this industry. So how, how did you get over the edge? How did you push it to the limit? Oh, I, I mean, I think I'm still am every single day, you know, I don't yeah. think it's a journey, not really a, uh, a destination, but, um, you know, a couple of things, my feelings of inadequacy, uh, helped push me quite a bit. Um, and then just my drive and, you know, setting up those goals. I know what it's like to be poor and I don't want that. And I know what it's like, you know, not to have much. And I don't want that. I don't want that for me or, or, or my, my family. If I, if I ever start one. Mm-hmm. So um, I, there's so many questions I want to ask, uh, working with these incredible people. So let's just continue along the timeline. Uh, unless there's any other really big takeaways you want to drop on us from the experience at the French laundry, we can touch on, and then let's just move along your career real quick. And because I want to dive into your current situation and how that all came sure. to be. So, uh, keep going, I guess. What, what was it, Danielle? Or did you want to talk about anything? else? Yeah. So, well, uh, the thing was, um, uh, when it, when I went out, so, uh, went out to the French laundry interview, tried to get the song position. You know, I spent all my money on suits and shirts, uh, you know, to do this interview. I knew everything about their list. I get there and they say, Hey, we, we don't see you being a Psalm here. And I said, great. Okay. Well, uh, what, what could you offer me? And they said, we could offer you a food running position. And I said, well, how much does that pay? And they said, $10 an hour. And I said, okay, well, let me think about it. At that time with Michael Mina, excuse me, in the Midwest, I was making probably about 70,000. Wow. Uh, I had a, I had a, you know, two floor condo. My girlfriend lived with me. We had all this nice furniture. I, I flew back and now I'm broke because I spent all my money doing this. Um, and, uh, slept on it one night and I said, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And so I wow. said, told my girlfriend at the time, I said, Hey, why don't you move back in with your mom, finish college, um, put all our stuff in storage and I'm going to drive out. I'm going to rent a room on Craigslist and I'm going to work at French laundry. Um, you know, so having that humility and that, uh, kind of awareness to know that even though it's a step back, you know, in, in many respects, uh, it was the greatest step forward that for my career, why? you know, why is it well, the step forward? You, you know, um, because it propels you into a different league. It mm. takes you to another level. And, um, and I knew that. And I knew that they were the best restaurant in the world two times. That these guys are, you know, at the top of their profession. Mm. And, and if you surround yourself with that, I mean, it'd be pretty much impossible not to soak that up uh, at least a little bit. And that was my passion anyway. So how long were you at the food running position before you worked your way up? So I did the food running position for almost a year probably, but you know, the thing was just like all my other positions, you know, and all my other opportunities I created, uh, the opportunity for another one. Basically what I did was, um, every time something broke or every time something wanted to be cleaned up or, you know, uh, every time the seller needed to be restocked or pages need to be reprinted, I, I, I did it. I did it. I was the first one. Like you couldn't stop me. You couldn't slow me down. Uh, when everybody else took vacation, I stayed, I redid the wine cellar. I re, you know, like everything I bled TFL blue until, and, and I, and I believe in it. It's an amazing place. And, and I'm, uh, my coworkers were incredible. Um, you know, but, uh, the only way to differentiate yourself in that again was with that passion and that commitment, uh, and every day getting better. And I was studying like crazy and I was tasting like crazy and, I'm in Napa Valley and uh, eventually they came to me and they said, Alex, you know, we can't make you a full-time sommelier, but we've created a position we never had at the French Laundry, which is uh, the seller sommelier. That's and awesome. we created it just for you if you want it. We had it at Per Se before and we've never had it here, but 
it's yours if you want it. So I think there's a lesson in that in itself is that if you have somebody who is committing that much to you and working and really busting their ass for you, you've got to turn around. You've got to make sure you take care of that person because they will go someplace else. They will. For sure. And that's, and I think that's probably part of the excellence of uh, Thomas Keller. And I think it was also, uh, it might've been Michael. Do you know Elizabeth Pelka or Jennifer uh, Pelka? Jen Pelka. Sounds really familiar. She was at uh, Danielle uh, or Balu. I think it was Danielle, but they did the same thing. They created a position for her. Uh, or she, sure. so, so like, or I think, I might be getting my stories messed up, <laughs> but the lesson being, if you have somebody who's coming in and showing up for you, do the same thing for them is a great lesson. Well, I mean, it, it, like in a, in a practical terms for anyone to take away from this, this podcast is how many times or how many uh, positions have you been in or, or people have come to you and said, look, um, I'd like to take the next step. You know, I'd like to move from a back waiter to a server or from a dishwasher to a back waiter or bartender to a sum or whatever. And they say, well, you don't have the experience. Well, that's, I think that's the stupidest thing ever because if you've already invested with them, if they're already part of your team and they're loyal and they do their job at this level already, how do you expect them to get the experience? There's mm. only one way, yeah. and that's for them to leave you. Yeah. And they're not coming back. Why do you it's think like, it is like that? Sense. It's like that today where people have a tendency to not want to invest in their people. Uh, they, they're expecting you to come into their doors with that experience, with that training. Why doesn't anybody want to train anymore? Cause, cause you know, people are fickle, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then uh, our industry is at a, a you know, a, a very unstable position right now. I mean, I'm sure other, uh, other podcasts, other people have mentioned it, yep. you know, but you, you train people, you invest in them. It takes time. It takes money. Um, a lot of effort, uh, both, uh, mentally and physically. And then they leave, mm-hmm. you know, and for whatever reason, or you wouldn't be, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised because I know you do this podcast, but there's so many people. It's like, they're great. They're great. They're great. And then they just don't show up and they never come back. And mm-hmm. you're like, I have no idea. And then I always call them and I say, what's going on? Even if I'm not really that close to them. And I just want to find out like, a, we worry, because we think something happened or B did we do something or maybe it was a manager or you know, what the hell happened? And you, sometimes you just never, that question is never answered. So before I forget to ask this question, cause I will forget. And I think it's an important question to ask. How do you keep showing up every day, knowing in the back of your head that there's a good chance that this person I'm showing up for in, in, you know, trying to, to make into a better person to really develop this person. They might not, show up tomorrow how do you continue to show up to invest in them if you know they might not show up for you i mean there there's a whole team and it's a team mentality so it's not you're not really focusing just on one individual and you have to think about their role and how it interacts with everything everything's connected as a web you know if uh if the seating at the front door is really heavy then the next thing you know uh you know all the drink orders have to come in at once a bar slam then all the food orders come in right behind it all the kitchen slam and the server's overwhelmed you know what i mean like everything the butterflies flap of their wings on the south coast is our hurricane right i mean everything matters, especially in that tight knit, high pressure environment. So when I'm investing in them, I'm not just investing in them. I'm investing in all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and people that are loyal, we take great care of. And that's why, you know, we continue to grow. And, and in in the long run, everybody that works with us is a reflection of our brand. And and notice how I say I work with us, not work for us. Nobody works for us. We all work together. That's awesome, man. We haven't really covered, um, 
some of the other great experiences you have. And I can't believe we're already at a half hour of recording time. Um, so we, we've learned a lot up to this point and, uh, I still want to make sure we leave plenty of time to talk about what you got going on now with, uh, atrium Dumbo and, uh, be some bottles, which I neglected to mention in the intro. I apologize, but I mean, what were the other key mo- moments or key takeaways you took in your career working for all these incredible people that you might want to drop on us before we move on to creating this vision with your partners? You know, um, I, I definitely have to, you know, New York's a unique market and, um, there's a lot of stress there, a lot of pressure, incredible competition. Um, I definitely want to thank, uh, Daniel Jonas for, uh, giving me the opportunity to come out to New York from Napa Valley, uh, and run a program here. I was, uh, running a DB Bistro and then, uh, working with Danielle and their team. Uh, I thought they were really top notch. They treated me great. Um, and for me out of uh, all the three-star chefs that I'd worked with, uh, Daniel for me is really the whole package because he understands, you know, how to be a great chef and to be a great leader, uh, how to recognize excellence in his people and, and, and congratulate them. Um, I remember after I won uh, best sommelier in America, there's this one story. He was in London. He called me at 4am, uh, to congratulate me, which was amazing. But then I saw him again. And, uh, if I could have a Kodak moment of anything that's happened in my life, this would be it. I was at the James Beard Awards that were at Lincoln Center, and he was opening Blue Suit. Um, and so the the black tie kind of party, really, you know, like early friends and family party was right after the James Beard Awards across the street at Blue Suit. I walk in the room, there's all these journalists, all these really well-known people in our industry. And Danielle sees me for the first time since I won, and he, and he kneels down on one knee, Daniel Blue, and he says, there's the master. Uh, oh, I wasn't man. a master at, the, at that time, <laughs> but I, I mean... For for someone who's accomplished so much to be able to recognize that, and someone that works, you know, in his empire, um, I thought I thought it was amazing. That and amazing. Um, you know, I don't think people people catch you know give enough positive reinforcement. So that was great. But he also knows um, the PR side, the business side. He knows a lot about wine. So he you know he's a real complete package in this world. So you said he learned a lot about leadership. Would you say that uh, the biggest lesson you learned from him was that that praise, that acknowledgement, the ability to hold up others on a pedestal, and not the one being on the pedestal all the time? You know, I mean, I, I probably you know it's tough to because they're not given to you and just uh, yeah, you know yeah, like here's no. lesson one too exactly you know not not Miyagi uh, karate but. Um, you know, you, it's osmosis. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was incredible. Um, you know, from him to, to be able to see that and to recognize that. And then uh, Daniel Jonas gave me a lot of, uh, you know, I was difficult to work with when I came. I was, I was, um, you know, I don't know, cocky or I didn't understand it. Um, you know, where, you know, what, what this career is about, where, where you're at necessarily. I wanted to push to be excellence and I was very driven and things like that. But I didn't understand a, a lot of the things about how, how stuff works in the real world. And so uh, DJ was really, um, and I call him DJ um, (laughs) as many of us do work with him as a, a, you know, um, a very affectionate uh, abbreviation, but um, you know, he understood that and he, you know, he, uh, he showed me a lot of uh, patience and and kind of holding my hand without holding my hand. You know, he would just send me wine and be like, okay, here, put this on the list. I mean, that was his job, but uh, also, you know, introducing me to a lot of the, the reps and, Things you know, so it, it taught me a, a ton, a ton of stuff working with those guys. I think this is a good point to kind of transition to the present day because it was at Danielle that you met your partners, your current day partners. So that's correct. How did how why did you guys want to break off on your own? I mean, you're working for one of the the best restaurateurs in the world. Sure. Uh, what was going on between the three of you? Like, when did this conversation start to 
arise, like let's go do our own thing. Right. So, I mean, not everybody's an entrepreneur um, and that's okay. You know, some people like to do, excuse me, like the, um, you know, the comfort and the uh, steady paycheck and the stress levels and things of not doing that. Um, But that wasn't for us. Mm -hmm. And what was great is we were all doing very similar positions working with Danielle um, and we wanted more. And I mean, I think it's a simple question of, if I become the very best and at some point I, I was running, you know, two restaurants, three, three star and a one star Michelin for Sean George on his flagship. And there's only a few beverage positions like that in the country. So I'm towards the top end of where I can go. You know, I'd already won best sommelier in America. I was about to pass my master sommelier exam. So as far as money and monetary concerns are and, you know, achievements, I've got nowhere to go. So where can I go? I have to do it for myself now, you know, because there is no top line, you know, it could be, it could be, you know, infinite. And, uh, my, you know, and my partners, uh, I was really fortunate, um, to meet them. And if I could give any advice to anyone out there, um, I feel like most business ventures fail because of the partnership Mm -hmm. that starts it. And my advice to anybody would be, make it so difficult for them to quit or to leave you that they can't do it. And if that means they have to invest a lot of money, uh, you know, that they would lose or whatever, you know, you guys write the terms, but um, find a way that when it gets really, really difficult and there's nowhere to turn and it's the blackest of the, of the night you, that they can't leave you, that they can't quit. And uh, you know, my, my partnership is one of the things that I'm most thankful for in this venture. So how, I mean, was that the approach you took? Did you make it so hard that they wouldn't be able to leave you? Like, or I mean, what else contributed to this, this uh, partnership? Or- oh, well, I mean, we, we share a lot of uh, commonality. Uh, so my two partners, uh, Laurent uh, Calcouture and Leslie Afre, and they both have skills that I don't. Mm-hmm. So it's really, um, we've, we've put together uh, a very complete picture of what it would take to run a restaurant, uh, you know, or, or, um, you know, a, a hopefully a budding enterprise there. Um, you know, I've got a uh, very strong financial sense, uh, incredible wine knowledge, uh, and very good leadership skills. Um, I lack emotional intelligence. I lack, uh, you know, and I think that's really important to know where your strengths are and where they're not. Um, you know, and, and like surround yourself with 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 people that can complement uh, your styles. You know, uh, Laurent's an incredible chef um, and is a, a, an incredible cook. Um, and, uh, Leslie, um, uh, is our, uh, pretty much our director of operations mm-hmm. and she's got all of the, uh, emotional skills and she's got a lot of vision, um, and comes up with the best ideas and, uh, is really supportive. And, you know, I care a lot about all the, uh, people that work with us, but, uh, Leslie really goes above and beyond, mm. uh, at all hours, uh, she'll, she'll go if something's wrong. I mean, we've, we've had employees get, um, ride their bicycle to work and get in a car accident, you know, car hits them or something and had a lady call us and was like, Hey, cause he said, call my job, you know, cause he doesn't have any family here. He's from out of state. And we met him in the emergency room. You know, we, we, we left the restaurant right there and we were like, wow. okay guys, we're going, you know, but we do that with everybody, you know, whether it's loans or, you know, uh, if someone's not well or if someone's got to go to the hospital or, you know, even if they're not working at the time, if they call us and, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a, a big family, but, but, uh, Leslie's really the counterpart in the front of the house and, and running the business with, uh, all the operations. So, 
So when you, Leslie and Laurent, were coming together initially, when this, when did the conversation start on let's go out and do our own thing? Uh, 2012, probably summer 2012. All right, and you opened in 2013, so there was a year. Right. So from the time that the, the conversation first started, so when you actually had a brick-and-mortar location, it was one year. Um, yep. When you... I guess who maybe who, a little shorter even. who brought up the, the, the initial recommendation, like who said like, well, let's go out and do our own thing. How did the conversation start? Well, I think we all kind of always wanted it. Yeah. Um, but I remember it was Leslie and I originally talking and then we didn't. Uh, and even when we found atrium, um, it had been hit by hurricane Sandy. We walked in, it's a beautiful space, but it's all flooded and mm-hmm. half of it's ripped out. And it was friends of Leslie's at that time, uh, that, um, had it and they weren't able to reopen. And, um, they asked for a ridiculous amount of uh, key money and we had no money. We had no business plan. We had no chef partner. And it was at that moment that we said, we'll take it. Okay. So even without <laughs> the chef partner, that's awesome. So did, did Leslie nothing. approach you? Oh, no, we, we had been looking already okay. together. Her okay. and I, we were looking in, uh, we were like looking West village and stuff and we didn't know where we wanted to be, but we just, um, there's two ways also to, to look for potential things. You come up with a concept, and then you try to fit it into a space or in real estate markets mm-hmm. like ours that are so demanding and so yeah. difficult. We always start with the space first and we mm-hmm. say, here's the space. This is where it's located. What can we achieve? And our goal, even though, you know, all three of the partners have operated at the three-star mission level for the majority of their careers or two, two, three-star, there's no money in that. I mean, there is, if you have super deep pockets, but, we knew that wasn't feasible for mm-hmm. us. So even though we have those skills, that wasn't the place we were looking to open. We were looking to open a place that was a really, really good neighborhood place that kind of stepped up the, the bar just a notch, but that could make money and make people really happy. That's a good lesson right there too. And uh, I mean, when you were going into this partnership, uh, when you were originally talking with Leslie, did you know that she would be a good partner? Did you recognize the strengths that she had that countered the, the, the weaknesses you had? You know, the tough thing is, I mean, I did, um, I'd like to say that, you know, I'm clairvoyant, uh, but I'm I'm definitely not. (laughs) And, uh, I gotta tell you, you think, you know, and 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 this happens a lot with the interviews that I have. So I sit down with someone, uh, or we sit down with someone and we talk to them and say, well, I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. But it's just talk. You have no freaking clue until someone does it, you know, until they're there in the moment, in the pressure and the situation. And I gotta tell you, doing it for somebody else and doing it for yourself with your own money, they're, they're, they're dramatically different because, uh, you know, don't sleep for a couple of days, be, uh, you know, close to bouncing checks. You haven't paid yourself in two weeks. You know, you might get evicted, uh, or something. And then, and then give me a call and tell me how you're going to act. Like you don't know until you're there. Awesome. Uh, so, okay. So it sounds like kind of, there was almost a pragmatic approach. Uh, there was a location that became available. You saw it, you knew it was right for you. You said, yes, you made it happen. Uh, what, what did you learn? in this first experience opening your first restaurant uh, because you worked in a lot of great restaurants, but were you, uh, were you opening a lot of restaurants prior? Did you have a lot of experience opening? Uh, you know, I probably opened five or six restaurants. Um, Leslie had opened quite a few. Okay. I'm not sure how many Laurent had actually opened. Okay. I don't think he ever had. So were there any hiccups or any, you know, things you learned along the way that you didn't really anticipate lessons you can share with our audience? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of New York specific stuff yeah. like, Oh, uh, fire department just showed up. They just gave you a ticket. Like for what? Well, you don't have a permit to operate an air conditioner. And you're like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things yeah. like, um, my, my biggest advice, if you're going to open something for your own and, you know, actually, and this is a quote from Paul Greco, as I was speaking with before I opened, 
And he said, if I could do it again, I wouldn't go to college. I'd go learn how to do basic electric, uh, like electricity work, basic plumbing, HVAC, you know, basic carpentry. I grew up on a farm, so I already knew, um, you know, a lot of, you know, those things. But uh, you'd be surprised how much time I spend doing those things because you can't pay someone, you know, $200 an hour with a two-hour minimum, and that's not on the weekend. I mean, you got to be really self-sufficient, I think. Gotcha. So what was your biggest, uh, I guess, what was the biggest hurdle in opening the first restaurant that we can learn from your experience? Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing was uh, was, was pretty big. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you really have to have that resilience because yeah. um, it gets really difficult. All right. Let's talk about transitioning into the second location. So at what point do you sure. guys decide, like, let's let's do another one? So it's only been four years since you opened. Yeah. So how many years went by before you decided that a second location was going to be in the cards for you? Well, even if you have one really busy restaurant, um, you can't retire from it. You have three I partners, mean, especially. Yeah. yeah, especially with two partners. So, And then you have investors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we took some investors. I mean, I, I actually mortgaged my family's farm. I bet the farm on Atrium, <laughs> you know, and like my dad worked, that's all he worked for for 30 years. You know, like the kind of pressure you put on yourself when you do these kind of things is just immense. Um, but we knew and, and we're still playing it. We have other concepts. We have other opportunities. We, you know, we're aggressively pursuing them. We're trying, you know, and when we first started, we wanted to try to find a way to bring people in the industry that were too talented and that weren't being recognized to work with us and create things and, you know, give a sense of ownership to or even real ownership to, you know, so that they can invest and build in something. And I think, um, you know, you saw John George did it with Wiley Dufresne. When Wiley left, John George invested. You know, uh, Danielle Thomas uh, uh, both did it with um, Gavin Kaysen. When he left, they invested. I mean, it makes sense. It's, if you've trained this person, if you've worked with them, you've invested in them, you know they're great. When they go off to do their own thing, why wouldn't you invest in them? Why wouldn't you let them continue to work, grow, and still get paid for it. I think it's genius. I'm actually kind of curious because I mean that what you just described is like, in my opinion, like a the perfect business model and what the best in the industry do. The Danny Myers, sure. the, the best yeah. of the world, like they see talent. They know this person has what it takes to go do their own thing. And they should, because ultimately totally that's, I mean, we should have a, like a, a decentralized, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not food system, but just like, economy like there shouldn't be one person who's just owning it all like you need to spread it out and and that's what we should do we should take that knowledge and pass it on to the next generation but would do you guys even consider approaching danielle to say hey like invest in us as a partner or would you do oh yeah yeah because uh, when you're trying to find money you ask everybody yeah uh, that has some you know i mean i don't know Uh, it's not it's and then nobody I knew personally so many billionaires and we're not talking millionaires. We're talking okay. billionaires. Any one of them could have just like pulled it out of their pocket yeah, and bought it, it like a yeah. hot dog. Yeah. Not a big deal, but they, they don't invest the risk. Mm-hmm. The risk factor for a restaurant is so astronomical. It doesn't matter how good your resume is, how much experience you have, how great the opportunity, how great the financials look on paper. Nobody's going to give you money. Mm-hmm. So the only people that are going to give you money, it's not going to be a bank. It's not going to be an SBA loan. You're going to waste all your time. You go to these really rich people. It's too aggressive. It's too much risk for their portfolio. So you find people either that A, don't have an opportunity to invest in other things with that high of a return and they're willing to take the risk. So usually those are other people that work in our industry that understand it, that believe in you or um, people that want a piece of the lifestyle. So mm-hmm. they either want to be the cool kid, 
be around wine, be around food, be, you know, Hey, I'm a, you know, investor in this restaurant or this nightclub or whatever, you know? So those are the only people really you can find unless, um, unless it's somebody that comes like an angel investor. I'm so rich, but I want to do this because this is my passion. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pay for all your projects, which is rare. So going transitioning to the, from one location to, to two locations, uh, what was that? What, I guess, what advice do you have for anybody who's making that transition? What did you do that you think made it work that you can share with our audience? Oh man, I can tell you a lot of things I didn't do, <laughs> but uh, no, you have to, and I've seen this happen with better corporations or bigger corporations with more experience and more money. Um, they expand too fast and they don't have the infrastructure mm. and it crumbles. And then, then you have to cut back. It's like, uh, it's like frostbite, right? What are we worried about protecting? We're worried about protecting our vital organs and the fingers and the toes. They got to go. So whatever they just open in a hurry is closing in a hurry too. And it's just lost money. So, when, so when they're expanding too fast. What are yeah. they expanding too fast for? What is there a void of? Well, there's a void of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a void of, uh, uh, I mean, mostly talent because everything, you know, in this industry really is, you know, based on that, based on people, it's Mm -hmm. a people industry, um, you know, uh, machines can't do it. So it's not really technology, but usually just talent and having systems. Um, and if you expand that fast, you need to have that built in. So I would say, you know, hire up people like we brought on, um, you know, our GM and our chef, we brought them on four months before uh, to work at our original location before we started the second one. So before they would ever be kicking in that kitchen, they'd already spent four months with us getting the culture, learning stuff. Um, The other thing that I would highly recommend to anybody that owns a restaurant and is looking to go to number two is understand that your time will be a lot less because it's not not even 50% less because there's two. I think it would be like 70% less because there's so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So make sure you have all the little things that you do in a day that you've never thought about writing down or putting in a manual or making a, you know, a plan for or a system, you're not going to be there to do that anymore. So you better figure it out now. So write all your employee manuals, make sure it's scalable, make sure you have all your training in place, have all your systems in place because you're not there to say, Hey, this is how it should go. And usually what you hope for is whatever managers or leaders in your business when you expand and you take yourself out of it on an every single day all day basis they'll be able to share that culture with the next person maybe they will maybe they won't but if they leave then what do you have you don't have any systems you've got nothing yeah so invest in that way before you expand um and take that time to do that i think it's super super valuable create system dependent restaurants not people dependent restaurants then put amazing people in those system dependent restaurants 100 uh, awesome stuff and one more question before uh we head towards the speed round when do you know it's time to expand what what are you what's going to determine that expansion Oh, you know, for us, we've always done, um, you know, we've always done really one thing and I've seen this done before and other parallels. Um, but looking at the real estate market, looking at the way things are developing, finding where that tipping point is, and it's very sensitive, understanding that if you can't buy, first of all, if you can buy, buy buy it, you know, take out a mortgage, whatever you have to do, 
own your location because you have, I try to tell people there's a lifespan on a restaurant. I've got 10 years. Maybe I can get a, maybe I've negotiated a lease renewal or an option of five years or whatever, but usually it's 10 or 20 years or whatever. But then this game over. And then what? If I haven't opened a second one, then I've got nothing again. And that's not going to work. But um, you buy if you can. But look at the real estate market. Or at least that's what we do. We look at the real estate market. We see where emerging neighborhoods are. And we try to figure out where we can get the lowest you know, price, the best opportunity financially. And then as the neighborhood expands, then the rest makes the business work. Our margins are so small and everybody thinks, or at least a lot of people, and this is one thing we steered away from, and which was great because my partners are very humble, is that we didn't let our ego dictate the restaurant we were going to do. We didn't want to make a three-star Michelin restaurant. But a lot of people go out and they say, you know, the money doesn't matter. I'll spend as much as I have to because I'm going to have the best restaurant. I'm going to make the best food. And Shit doesn't work like that, you know, and if you hit a recession, then it's all over. Or if you don't have the talent, it's all over. And if the bank account hits zero and nobody wants to give you more money, it's all over. So you have to, you know, you have to look in and start with really good lease and really good financials before you even start with your first employee. And, um, you know, that's what we always say. So we always look for great opportunities like that. And, um, you know, that's kind of fueled our expansion so far. Alex, man, you're crushing it. You're just dropping tons of great advice on us to this point. And I know this B round is going to be awesome. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Seriously, though, man, you are crushing it. I'm loving everything you're sharing with us. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest superpower power is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce and when citrus skyrockets you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter to learn more head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes if you mention restaurant unstoppable at checkout you'll get your first month free yep there we go we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success Mm. um man for me um you know what i've always done and um this this might be a, a little crazy when i was getting ready for um uh, like best sommelier in America. It was 170 some days before that. I'm sitting in a meeting with uh, Danielle and the director of operations and Daniel Jonas and all these people, all the PR, HR, all of them. And I said, I just want to let you know in 174 days, I'm going to win best sommelier in America. <laughs> and now the thing is, you have to ask yourself, are you being cocky or are you being confident? And I don't know if I was being either, but as soon as you say something out loud, it acknowledges it and it holds you accountable. And that integrity that you have to have to be great, um, it will, it'll, it'll wake you up, you know? And, and I used to say to myself when I go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning, I hadn't slept much and maybe I'm hungover and I'm tired. I'd ask myself one question every day and I say, do you want to be great? 
And if the answer is yes, then you got to get up, you mm-hmm. got to study, you got to work, whatever. If not, go back to sleep by all means. But so uh, know boil- that everybody else is out there out working it. How, how do you boil down that if factor? What would you say? Just determination, will, uh, visioning, uh, like, and just. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's an, it, everything. Because it, it's it in quotations, right? So it's yeah, all of that. <laughs> I dig it, man. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, probably emotional skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you um, improved on that? How have you improved on it? If you have, I try to, I try to, you know, listening is a, is a difficult skill. You know, I think I'm very good at it with guests. Um, but I'm very direct and I'm very efficient. And sometimes I feel that I'm missing, you know, if I had taken a little bit more time to invest a little bit more, to listen a little bit better, it's not that I'm not hearing the message, but the emotional reaction that I'm giving by being very like cold and calculated, uh, people don't respond well Mm -hmm. to sometimes. Some people love it. And then, you know, sometimes uh, they feel like you, you, you don't care when that's definitely not it. So it's something that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's great that you recognize that weakness and you surround yourself with other people like Leslie, who is strong. I think that's where people go wrong. They don't, they recognize the weakness, but they don't do anything about it. Um, sure. and you have that person to lean on who, who, who can kind of come up and pick up that, that part of the partnership. I love it. Uh, what is one piece of, of advice you have for leading others? Oh, wow. Um, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Being a leader is such a big, a big uh, word, and we we see you know drawings and stuff, um, you know, in books, and you know, I don't know. Uh, I think a really good uh, way to inspire people, or at least uh, you know, relate to them, is to think that before they were, um, you know, a, a server or a bartender or whatever job they do, that they're they're human first, they're a human being, and. Um, you know, think, think about that when, when you, when you're, when you're leading them and, and trying to gain their trust and gain their respect, you know, just from, always remember that, you know, there's constructive criticism about being professional, but you can never make it mean something about the person because mm-hmm. it, they're, they're different. They need to be different. Uh, and it's tough when you're really passionate to sometimes remember that. Okay. Awesome. So the next question is what is one question or thing you look for when you're trying to expand your team and during the interview process, what are you looking for? Oh man, and you know this is right out of uh, uh, the Godfather, Danny Meyer. Man, this is out of his book, right? His handbook. Um, passion. You got to look for passion. How do you find? You know, well, I mean, they got to be excited and stuff. But um, you know, there's things that I do all the time. Like people talk around subjects. I ask them very specific things. I ask them easy things. You know, if they say, "Oh, well, I knew," you know, and I loved our menu and stuff. I'm like, "Well, you know, what was one of your favorite dishes?" And then they're like, "Oh." I don't have anything or, Oh, I love farm to table. I love seasonality. Okay. Well, what's the season right now? You know, like I like to call people on their shit, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like I'm like, um, I don't know, you know, like the Russians, we trust them, but verify, you know, it's like, fine, man. That's cool. That's great that you love seasonal stuff. What's, what's the season right now? Mm -hmm. You know, like, Oh yeah, squash and tomatoes are finishing and corn and like, you know, like talk to me, chestnuts. What, what do we have? You know, like, uh, you know, but, but, but passionate people, because you can give people skills if, if they are passionate, you can teach them. But, uh, I care a lot about loyalty and honesty integrity means everything for me. And I've definitely fired people on the spot because they've lied and they put their ego in front of a guest experience. So you can't work with us. You can't work with us like that. I dig it, man. And, uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Oh man, my biggest challenge 
probably not to bite off more than, than I can actually make myself available for. I, uh, I spread myself really thin because uh, sometimes I feel like I'm Superman. Um, but, uh, but it's difficult. And how are you dealing with that? Like what things have you started doing differently to protect yourself from biting off too much? Oh man, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually think I'm actually doing anything. (laughs) I think it's getting worse. No, I'm saying no to a lot of things, you know, because of my teaching schedule and I get, you know, I get a lot of, um, you know, opportunities to write articles and travel and I've got the businesses and then, you know, and I've just added something that I think is really important for all restaurateurs uh, or, you know, or cooks or anybody that's having trouble. Uh, I've always made and prioritized work and, and scheduled it. But, excuse me, I've never put um, any priority on my personal life until recently. And I think it's super important because I've never had balance. And I found myself getting very fat, very tired, um, developing terrible habits with alcohol. And uh, I never, I never really did drugs, but, um, you know, and just being a, like a recluse and, and starting to be negative. And um, it's all because I never put anything into my personal life. So now I've, I've started making in, in investing, putting it on the calendar. So if it's on the calendar, Google calendar rules my life. Yep. So if, <laughs> if I've got meetings scheduled and, you know, or personal, like I schedule the gym, I schedule, you know, guitar practice, I schedule stuff now. Yeah. So I do it. A huge lesson right there. If it's not on the schedule, it doesn't happen. And I think you bring up a really good point early in our careers. We have to be yesaholics. Yes. Yep. To any and every opportunity to get out there, to get experience, to learn, to find our strengths or our weaknesses, just to get out and experience life. And we can rebound so way faster when we're younger, but there comes a point where you got to start to govern that yes me like that yes reflex and really be careful about what you say yes to because everything you say yes to is something else you have to say no to and you really got to pick and choose your opportunities when you start building that momentum um so great great advice there and uh what is one code of contact and this is a new question you're actually the first one to get this <laughs> yes uh, one code of conduct or behavior something you teach something you mentor onto your team that's not like I guess standard, but it's like there's all these isms, right? In our industry, like there's like little like nuggets, uh, like values, core values or something. Like what's one thing that you teach your team that uh, is unique to your restaurant or to something you've learned from a mentor? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we teach a lot of stuff and I got to tell you, I appropriate from all sources that I can books or, or, or previous experience. But, um, you know, one that what I came up with, what I thought was really uh, valuable, uh, for the staff is just, uh, you know, we do pre-shift meetings and stuff. And so, um, one that, that I like to do is, you know, you're in the restaurant and again, we, we talked about maybe people don't do this because this is going to be their career forever. But I always say, you know, in my experience, people start off in this career and they end up in it quite a while. So how many of you have been doing this five years? Raise your hand. You know, what about 10 years? What about 15 years? I usually stop at 15 so nobody feels awkward. And then I say, um, you know, do you think you spend more time at work uh, in the restaurants or at home, uh, awake time or, you know, in your outside life. And everybody says work because it's true. You do, um, and mine is sleeping and, and, and things like that. And then, um, I said, so, um, you know, if every, if, you know, when, when the pressure's on and, and things get tough and you're looking at, um, following steps of service or doing these things, do you think that if you took shortcuts every day for those 15 years, more hours in the week at work than outside of it, do you think that that affects your the rest of your life, your personal life, uh, your ambitions, your aspirations? Because repeated actions become habits, mm-hmm. habits define character. So when you make those decisions, understand that they have 
ramifications awesome. over a, that kind of a, a long period of time. Yeah. That alone is a huge lesson. The power of habit uh, of just showing up and doing the same, forcing yourself to do the same thing over and over again until it becomes habit. And if it's a, we, we always got to be looking to develop those good habits. I love it. Um, so what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner. And this is the bookmark that I was talking about earlier. Cause I, ah, I started okay. going there and I was like, ah, we'll come back to it. Uh, first break all the rules. Mm. Have you, have you seen it? I've heard other of people that recommend it. I have. It's never been recommended. I've heard of it before in other podcasts, good. but it, I've heard great things. What's, what's the biggest book. lesson in that book for you? Oh, I mean, there's so many, but it talks about, you know, uh, catching people doing things right. I mean, I think that would be the, like, uh, the Danny, uh, kind of, um, uh, similarity or, uh, analogy. Um, but I mean, there's so many, it's really good. And I, and I would recommend that to anybody looking to be a leader or put yourself in a position where you're responsible for others. Um, because you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really good book. And I think a lot of the, the things we do and the systems are changing so rapidly and the way we approach things that a lot of it's outdated. And I would look at this and, and try to think outside the box. First, break all the rules. This is episode 385. So you can head over to the show notes. I'll be sure to have the link there. And I'm pretty sure that book's on audio. So if you haven't picked up or started listening to audiobooks. It's changed my life, honestly. Uh, <laughs> audiobooks are awesome. You head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get your your first book free. And uh, with, let's see here. One more question before we get to the big question. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted recently or in the past that's had a huge impact on your operation, uh, pr- you know, productivity, uh, efficiency, communication? Uh, what's one technology you can share with us? Oh, hell, I don't think it's anything that nobody else has ever said. Um, man, I wish I had a, you know, a do it all, uh, kind of software program, but I probably wouldn't want to pay for it if they had it. So (laughs) Excel, man, I got to tell you, like, if you want to be amazing, take an Excel class, put some time into it. You can do everything from it. You know, I mean, pretty much. Um, I think, I think it's worth, it's a basic program. We've all used it. But I got to tell you, I mean, you, you got Open Table, you got Toast, you got Avero, you've got all these things. But you'd be surprised how how much power and functionality is in Excel. Yeah. Are you using Toast? Yeah. Well, at Beeson Bottles, I use Toast. At Atrium, uh, we use Restaurant Manager. I use Avero as well. Uh, we looked at other cloud-based systems. I use Open Table. Also, looking at Resi, and I've looked at Talk and Yelp. You know, like you look at all these things, but. Um, you know, the other thing with technology is they're only as good as the person using them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if the person isn't good with pen and paper, they're not going to be better because you gave them a program. Exactly. I mean, you can have a hammer and a nails, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to build a house. You got to swing it. Um, <laughs> exactly. I love it. So with all the knowledge you've gained over the years, you've been doing this since you're nine or 17 years old. If 15. Did, 15. Was, wow. Yeah, it was big boy. <laughs> So, yeah, big okay. boy. So if you could go, never went back. If you could go back in time to the past version of yourself, maybe when you're first getting started or when you're opening your first restaurant, if you could just only give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I've been really blessed. Uh, I think all the mistakes and all the trials that I've had have led me this far. Um, to this moment, I've always learned from and none of them been so devastating that I couldn't go back. Um, you know, I've got great relations, you know, financially with, with all of our investors and there's not too many of them. So that's really great. Um, 
I don't know. You know, I always like to think that, um, I don't Yeah, I, I don't know. That's Financial advice. <laughs> I mean, have more money. That would be my advice. <laughs> That's a great so, piece of advice. Honestly, yeah. like, I think people forget that the, the power of just having or paying yourself first and having that capital and, and not biting off more than you can chew and starting small and scaling up and always staying cash heavy. Uh, it's, it's great advice. So is there anything we didn't get to discuss yet or something you're hoping we'd discuss that we didn't cover that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I highly recommend everybody a um, do it for someone else before you do it for yourself. You know, learn what what's going on um, in all areas because too often you find even in, in businesses you don't own that people hold you hostage. You can't do every job, so then you got to keep them, and then it's killing your brand. Um, I mean, I, I just, I mean, there's a so much. It's a, <laughs> it's a complex thing, man. <laughs> it's a complex thing. But um, but if if you're young and you're just starting out, you were saying yes to everything. You said that earlier, and that's exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And do it for free because nobody's going to pay you. They don't know you. You don't have any skills. If you come in with a big um, ego, you're going to say, "Oh, I want to get paid." Like nobody cares. I'll so get somebody else. So volunteer your time trying to learn skills that you want to, you know, I've worked for free in so many businesses to get to the point that I am understand that it's not an investment, uh, in them. It's an investment in yourself, uh, and look at it like that, you know, and never take, never take a short term gain for a long term loss, you know, be willing to humble yourself, take a step back to make a big step forward. Um, I think it's so important to, to, to have that awareness, self-awareness. Alex, this has been such a great conversation. You've literally just like splattered gold all over the place uh, with your words. Such value uh, in your advice today. We got to wrap it up and we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Chef Chris Bates and Master Sommelier, I believe as well, called yeah, you out. He's a badass. He is a <laughs> badass. Uh, he had great things to say about you, and I'm so happy he called you out because you were a great guest. But who do you want to call out? Who's somebody you admire in this industry and think would be a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's some there's some really great, and I know you're looking for smaller or independent. Um, you know, one of the most talented chefs, uh, you know, from, from a cook and like understanding his uh, industry um, that I worked with throughout my career was uh, Corey Lee, uh, who has uh, Ben New, uh, and um, uh, he opened a bistro recently. I think he's working on another project, and, and, and but he's on the West Coast. I mean, he's got three Michelin stars. I don't know if that would be the kind of guest you're looking for. Yeah. Another one, uh, and we all worked at French Laundry together, so these are just a couple others that I really enjoy. Um, Nick and Sandra Arnerich in Portland, um, they've got two. Uh, lovely restaurants happening up there, and uh, and, a, and a close friend of mine, Michael Ireland, uh, just opened a um, a, a small wine bar in San Francisco called uh, High Treason with another sommelier. So I love it when you see two people coming from the sommelier world and opening something on a string shoestring budget that becomes like all underground and awesome. Because uh, I mean, he's got a great personality. So those those would be probably where I would Dude, steer you. Those are some great names. Corey Lee and Nick and Sandra and Michael Ireland lookouts. I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know if we want to follow you, what you're up to. Maybe we want to come join your team. Maybe we want to come, come get mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Oh man, you can, um, uh, you can always email me, um, through either of the restaurants. If you go to the websites, if you just Google that, um, Facebook, uh, I never really use LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, things like that. 
Um, but you know, don't waste my time. Like in in the most polite way, like if you want to make a commitment, I can, I can show you so many things and, and really steer your career and give you some advice. But, um, you know, I want to invest in people that are there that, that, you know, to, to grow and be great. Not, not people that say, Hey, I want to be a master song, but you know, I need you to show me how to do that. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to have to study on your own. That's how you're going to do it. You know, like I can point you in the direction, but I can't do the work for you. This is episode 387. I'll have the links in the show notes. Head over there. Again, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 387. A link to uh, how to connect with you. I'll have all of your social handles over there. Your restaurants, links to your restaurants, and a summary of today's discussion all there. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to share your story, to share your advice, and and just for being a great example of what it takes to you know just to get out there and to take a risk and to go all in to to leave seventy thousand dollars a year to make ten bucks an hour for the experience, and that's what it's all about is surrounding yourself with those incredible people. You are a beautiful example of that, and it was just an honor to make an example of you. Oh, thanks, Eric. Uh, I really enjoyed being here. It's a great podcast. Thank you. We'll cut it there. Cheers. Man, these episodes, they just keep getting, I don't want to say they keep getting better because that wouldn't do any justice to the folks we had on the show who have been awesome. But man, uh, I think it's just these, the people I have on the show, they're, they're just such incredible people who work so hard and have such awesome values. And today, what really stood out to me, uh, things I want to just highlight is that whole idea of you know, just not judging somebody by their resume. Uh, really take the time to try to get to know them, to see how they are, and to pay attention to what's actually happening, like in that moment or post interview interactions. I think Alex is a great example of what can happen if people just are persistent and they keep showing up to come work for you. I mean, give that person a chance. Look what happened with Alex. Like he, that, what a great investment he was as an employee. So you never know where the talent's going to come from. You never know where that passion is going to come from. Uh, don't be so quick to judge. Really, uh, be willing to invest your time and your knowledge in young people. It can come around to serve you. And then, uh, man, what about this guy in hustle? Jeez, like you have to acknowledge what he did to get that experience. He, he, he knew the value of just surrounding yourself with incredible people learning as much as possible. And he took a job, $70,000 a year. That's pretty good money in this industry. He left it to go make $10 an hour, but he knew the value of associating himself with a group like Thomas Keller restaurant, like it, or a name like Thomas Keller uh, in the French laundry. So, just just the value of knowledge, the value of your network is, is so much more than whatever you're going to make hourly. So really think about your future and invest in your future with experience. And lastly, don't grow restaurants, grow people. You're ready for expansion with restaurants when your people have nowhere else to go, where you've run out of opportunities for them. And we saw this twice. Uh, once when he was looking to become a sommelier for the French laundry, they, they didn't have a position for him. They couldn't just create a psalm position for them. So they created another position, uh, the wine. I know, forget the exact title, but the, he managed the wine cellar. And when people have what it takes, but you don't have the opportunity for them in that moment, 
create the opportunity. It will come back around to serve you. And when we talked about growing people again, we're talking about when do you know to expand your restaurant? When is it time to go to that second location? And he nailed it. He said, you go to that second location when you have to create opportunity for other people. You grow your people and when they can't grow anymore, that's when you open the second location. Remember, this is all about people. Don't grow so fast. Don't build out locations and then not have the people to support those locations. Uh, great lessons today in this conversation. Plus, I mean, we just, those are just three lessons. We obviously discussed so much more, but I got to be better about quickening these, uh, <laughs> these outros. They're, they've been pretty lengthy. Uh, like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me who you admire. Who is crushing it in your community? Who's the guy or gal you look up to? Let's get them on the show. Let's learn from them together. And connect with me on social media, Eric at, I'm sorry, Eric Catch Tori on Instagram and Twitter and slash Restaurant Unstoppable on facebook and keep those five star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming i've got some great reviews out there guys your reviews uh, they they carry so much weight they help validate what i'm doing here at restaurant unstoppable and uh i am accepting donations so if you guys are finding value in this podcast and you want to uh make sure that this resource doesn't go anywhere help me help me build it by just oh you know anything anything pennies anything i'm so grateful for any support i can get uh and uh, i need to be better about just creating awareness around yes i do accept donations so uh, thank you in advance if you do leave a donation and i think now i can say uh thank you guys so much for sticking around this long i love you all and until next time peace out